It's Golden Hour Adventure Time, featuring everyday people doing extraordinary things. From the peaks of victory to the valleys of defeat, these are their stories. Now, from the back of the pack, your hosts, Justin and Robbie. Welcome to the Golden Hour Adventures. Today's guest is stripper John LaCroix. How's it going, John? It's going great. I, I'm so excited to be on Golden Shower Adventures. I was waiting on somebody to say that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's been the joke. What's someone going to say that? I'm glad I can say that. Am I the first? I think you are. Yes. You're the first one to say Golden Shower on the podcast. Congratulations. Yeah. All right. We'll send you a sticker. Sweet. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. <laughs> yeah, welcome. <laughs> so, John, tell us a little about yourself. Oh, you know, I'm a guy just living the dream here in Colorado's Front Range. I'm the owner and race director of the Human Potential Running Series, HPRS. A little, of course, I'll give you the plug. The uh, Human Potential Running Series is Colorado's largest series of trail and ultra marathon running events. I also have two satellite events, one each in Texas and Arkansas. And you can find out all about us on our website, humanpotentialrunning.com. And as an ultra runner, I've been running ultras for almost 20 years now. I have no idea what happened in my life. Wow. 20 years. <laughs> wow. 20 years in ultra running. And it, it's funny because I look around and I'm like, well, who else has been around for 20 years? And it's all like, oh, Doc Horton, Scott Durick. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, all right, well, how many people actually know who the fuck I'm talking about if I say Doc Horton? It's like nobody, like the guy's been around for 40 years. Nobody knows who he is. Right. So it's like, oh, it's only a matter of time before nobody knows who the hell I am. But the important thing is, is how many books have you written? <laughs> uh, I'm, you know, I'm actually writing one now. Oh, sweet. Awesome. Well, that was meant to be a joke, but congrats. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing a book called The Race Director. Oh, cool. And, uh, man, I'm going to be diving into the deep down and dirty about race directing. Uh, just my experience race directing and trail and ultra marathon running. And I'll say it uh, right now. There's a lot of people who aren't going to write, uh, enjoy some of what I write. Cause, uh, I'm one of those honest folks that, uh, I cut through the bullshit. I'm going to tell you the truth, tell you the story. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Well, sometimes that's what people need to hear is they need to hear the story, need to hear the truth, you know, so I look forward to it. I think that, but not everybody does. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a great podcast. <laughs> uh, so what got you into uh, ultra running, John? Uh, or running in general? Yeah, I, well, I, I played a lot of soccer back in the day. So that's, I guess, where all my running came from. But it was, you know, it's sprinting. Right. Um, but uh, I was also a, a hiker. When I lived in New Hampshire, my dad introduced me to a sport called peak bagging. And if you hike all of Colorado's 14ers, you're a peak bagger. And I was just a peak bagger out east. And one day I, I was making a documentary film on peak bagging New Hampshire's White Mountains. And I wondered if anybody had done the high, you know, the highest mountains in New Hampshire, the fastest. And and I thought, ah, it has to have, like, of course, somebody's done it the fastest. I'm sure it took them like a month. And then I found out it took them three and a half days. 
Whoa. <laughs> to run like 187 miles, summiting Everest twice. Oh, and it just like, you know, blew my mind. And so while making the documentary, I, I went and met the current record holder at the time. And this was back in like 04, 2004. So I met the record holder and the guy who held the record before him was Ted Cave Dog Keezer. And his name is Cave Dog. And Cave Dog is a Barkley finisher, like one of the first three or four Barkley finishers ever. Um, so in interviewing these guys uh, for my film, they both talked about this ultra marathon running thing and I had never heard of it. And I was like, what is this ultra running thing? And they, they told me and I was like, all right, well, what do you have to do to be an ultra runner? And neither one of them mentioned running. <laughs> like, uh, you need to be stubborn and able to put up with some discomfort. I was like, oh, fuck yeah, that's me. So I decided right then and there, I'm going to be an ultra runner. So I, I started running in the fall of 2004. And in the summer of 2005, I ran my first ultra. So that's that's kind of how I got into it. What was your first ultra? I ran actually the first ultra distance I ever run was a fat ass that I organized in New Hampshire. About 13 people showed up, but it was like the who's who of New England ultra running came out to my fat ass. And I learned a shit ton that day. And then, you know, like two weeks later, I ran my first official race, which was the Dam Wakely Dam Ultra in upstate New York. It's a 32.6 mile run. Never crosses a road, no aid stations. So oh, you had to carry all your shit with you. Like I was just, fuck yeah. Like that sounds awesome. And uh, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's a true example of suffering right there. Oh yeah. No, I suffered. I, I suffered <laughs> pictures from that air. Like, you know, this crumpled up young guy crossing the finish line. Like I had no core strength. I almost folded up like an accordion on myself. I bombed so hard. Some guy that looked like Jesus um, gave me a banana to try to help me bounce back mid-race when he found me lying in the weeds on the side of the trail. Um, and I legit thought it was Jesus Christ. <laughs> so I might have been. <laughs> um, and th this guy actually just won um, a race for the ages. Like he's still running ultras. Wow. And, uh, wow. Uh, he won race for the ages and it, it's kind of fun. Like you look back 20 years and this guy I met in my first ultra, he's, he's still out there. He just, now he doesn't look like Jesus. Now he looks more like a drunk Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but he, like, he's the nicest guy though. Like, um, very cool stuff. So yeah, that's how I got into it. First ultra. How, how many hundreds have you run? Uh, I have uh, actually, I, I want to say it the way that I want to say it, and then I'll give you the number. I have run more, I've run more hundreds than Scott Jurek and Anton Kropichka combined. Wow. Doesn't that sound cool? That does sound really it cool. It does. <laughs> uh, I have 2,400 mile finishes. Yeah. Actually, I, I should say, I have run 100 miles or more 24 different times. Uh, and I actually just ran my own hundred miler, uh, Silver Heels hundred miler that that I organize. Uh, this was the eighth year, yeah, the eighth year, and I finally got to run it. And uh, it's the first time I finished a hundred miler in five years. 
Really? And I totally remembered why I stopped running them. <laughs> <laughs> so painful. Especially that one. That's not an easy uh, one. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 uh, the cutoff is 36 hours, but I extended it to 38. <laughs> <laughs> but you ran it, you're like, ah, oh, we need more time. <laughs> no, that was before I ran it. They're oh, like, wow. oh, you give yourself two more hours. I was only like 36 and a half. Um, but still, it's the slowest 100 mile finish I have. <laughs> so, uh, I did it. Um, I had a great time. It was great to be out there. What's the average elevation of that? Uh, 11,000. 11,000? Yeah. Oh. It, we used to be the second highest 100 miler in the country behind only hard rock. Um, and a lot of people that jump on you when you say that, like, oh, well, Leadville's hard or higher. And it's like, Okay, yeah, Hope Pass is higher than at any point on my course. However, when you're talking about the highest 100-miler, you're talking about the average elevation across the entire 100 miles. And Leadville's up there. It's, you know, I think it's like top six, but there are other hundreds that are higher average than Leadville, like Ure, um, Hard Rock, and then this other one, um, Divide 100. Which I almost don't even count because Divide gets like they had four finishers this year. Is that even a race or is that a group run? It's a group run. I mean, is, there, is, all, is it a race because you charge money? So now it's a race. I mean, you have four finishers. That's a group one. Group run. Come on. I wonder how many started. Oh, like 13, 12. Oh, yeah. 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 So is that a race? Although I, I, I could say Silver Heels has only had 12 starters one year before too. So was it a race? It was like, yeah, people paid me to go on a group run. <laughs> I sat out there and handed out candy for 36 mm. hours. <laughs> so what got you into uh, wanting to be a race director? I didn't want to be a race director. <laughs> uh so I actually um, got involved with race direction back in 2007, 2006, 2007. I lived in New Hampshire, and I met a guy named Joe DeSena. And Joe DeSena is the original founder and financier of Spartan Races. And I ran the Vermont 50 mile with him in 2006, step for step, we ran together in the entire race. We talked about his dream of starting his own race series uh, in the middle of Vermont on land that he owns. This guy's a billionaire. So he owns a shit ton of land. He owns his own mountain and he put trails on that. <laughs> um, but he asked me to be his race director. And at the time I was back in college for the third time working on an undergrad degree that I didn't need, but that I needed. Um, and, uh, I turned him down. I was like, you know, I, I don't think I'm ready for that, but I'll gladly help. So he hired a guy named Andy Weinberg and Joe and Andy are the two that started Spartan races. But uh, Andy was the race director of the McNaughton Park Trail Runs in Illinois, which is now known as Potawatomi. And uh, I became a race director apprentice or assistant race director underneath Andy. And so I learned everything I could about race directing from Andy. Um, and, and really I got involved with the marketing. I got involved with course marking. I got involved with course visual visualization. 
um, all the fun things we're going to do to make the races different. Like I really had a, a pretty good education on how to race direct. And then in 2008, uh, November of 08, I directed the first 200 miler in the world um, in Pittsfield, Vermont. And we had five runners show up. So is that even a race? And I was like, <laughs> um, uh, and it was a, a 200 mile race with a 72 hour cutoff. Oh my gosh. Like for, for me, it was like, if, if you're going to run 200 miles, you're going to fucking run 200 miles. <laughs> like none of this 108 hour shit. What is all this hiking and walking the race? Right. So I was like, and we had one finisher. Uh, his name is John Bridges. Uh, he's from Virginia. Never forget him. He ate beefaroni every time he was at the main checkpoint. Every 10 miles, he had a can of beefaroni. It was gross. Like Chef Boyardee? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so disgusting. He didn't even heat it up. He just ate it out of the can. <laughs> well, he was rolled out of the can. It's brutal. Right? Can like, you imagine that coming back out uh, either direction? Oh, God. <laughs> so wrong. Just the burps alone. <laughs> so, um, but th there's more to the story of creating that first 200 miler in that I, I was um, hoping to have a bit more of a support crew in Joe and Andy and a couple other locals. And they ghosted me. They, all the things that I asked them to help me with, they didn't actually help me with. So when I, I'm, you know, two weeks out from the race, I had to change the course because I didn't have permits. And mm. Joe, I showed up and Joe didn't buy shirts after I asked him to. So now we're handing out leftover shirts from a mountain bike race months ago. Like the, the first 200 miler was the most epic shit show of all time. And after that, I swore that I would never race direct again. And then I walked away. Um, fast forward to 2011, I moved to Colorado. Uh, I became a professional guide when I moved out here. I was guiding people up Long's Peak mountain biking, snowshoeing, backpacking, rafting, rock climbing. Uh, I was just living the time of my life, um, living the dream. And, uh, but for various reasons, I, I just, I didn't end up staying with the guide company and then I'm in between jobs. But the one thing that I was really good at was organizing these fat asses in Colorado's front range. And I think this is where you and I met Robbie. Yep. Um, Robbie started coming out to my fat ass runs. Now, the, the first fat ass was me and one other runner. That's it. There's two of us. And then that first winter, I had 14 regulars that came out. Um, but by 2011, uh, 2012, 2013, like, you know, year or two later, we're averaging 100 runners per fat ass. And in the front range, if you have any group over like 10 or 15 people in size, you're required to get a permit. And so like, you know, I'm, I'm organizing these fat asses in such a way that we're operating in the gray area and literally pissing off all of the land managers. <laughs> I would say um, 85 people over the limit is not the gray area. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody was like, we had everybody programmed though. Like if you ran into a ranger or something, or somebody asked you, even if it was like a stranger in plain clothes out hiking what group is this? What race is this? I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just out here running with my friends. <laughs> just like, it yeah. was like, and, and that was everybody's answer. One one year we had a blizzard. Robbie, you were out with Jeremy. Yeah. Running. 
Yeah, headless horse tooth. <laughs> Running in this blizzard, we got like a foot of snow during the fat ass. I mean, and it was white out, wind-driven snow, and the rangers came out because they wanted to close the trails. And there's a hundred people out there, and every <laughs> single person told the ranger, I'm just out here running with friends. Um, so by the time I got into the parking lot near the end, the, I, I said the same thing to the ranger, and he was like, Oh, horse shit. You all have the same goddamn answer. I know for a fact you're oh. So um there was conversation from um some folks who were kind of in what I would consider my inner circle of friends at the time. They're hey man, like this has gotten pretty out of control. And um <laughs> you're also like I was having a hard time finding work. And so they actually threw me an intervention. And normally in an intervention, your friends tell you why you shouldn't do something anymore. Um, but in this case, these friends told me why I should become a full-time race director. And I pushed back and told them for 45 minutes, I told them, here are all of my reasons why I don't want to fucking do this. And one of them was, my friends are really important to me. And if I'm going to start my own business, I'm going to start making some decisions for my business that my friends are not going to like or agree with. And I know how that works. You don't like it. You don't agree with it. So fuck him, fuck you. And off they go. And they don't just wander off, um, agree to disagree. They're going to take 10 to 20 people with them and just make this epic bitch fest about how I don't know what I'm doing or blah, blah, blah. Right. And so for me, it was like, there's a line between business and friendship. And I can clearly see that line, but other people can't. And so I know that if I start a business, it's going to affect my friendships and I'll ultimately use lose you all as friends. Um, they wouldn't take no for an answer. The next day I had an LLC, a human potential LLC, and I started planning my first race. Um, our first official finisher was Courtney DeWalter, a virtual fucking unknown at the time. Really? I remember her running the fat asses in her yeah. long shorts and that blizzard and just freezing. <laughs> yeah, she always running in her board shorts, no matter what the weather. Uh, Courtney DeWalter was a regular with us. Um, and then she ended up winning my first ever ultra here in Colorado, 100K. Seven people in it. Was it even a race? It was a group run. <laughs> um, but she 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 won and... Um, you know, she got big and important over time. We never see her anymore. Uh, so it's cool, but it's cool to know, like, how many people have come out? How many people actually came out of the Fat Ass series here? How many people started trail and ultra running because of our Fat Ass series? How many people? There's still people that have been with me since the beginning, uh, 2011. I mean, they've been running with me for 11 years. Uh, that's a long time. So Every single Fat Ass, we had someone with their first ultra distance. Yeah, Every single time, pretty pretty much, and there a lot of them are still out there running, and it's great to see them. Uh, well, sorry, it's great to see them running, not <laughs> great to see them. So, in these fat asses, I was going to ask you, they were they mostly like fifty k's, or what, how far would you guys go? Yeah, they were always either some ridiculous bullshit marathon that would take you ten hours, yeah, or fifty k <laughs> that would take you fifteen. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sadist. I'm a masochist. I, I come from the East coast, the beast coast where ultra running is meant to be hard. Um, 
and and I would say what I learned about ultra running my first six years as an ultra runner out east is that nobody gives a fuck about the podium. It, nobody cares about the race out east. I mean, really, it's a family reunion. We just all get together to have a barbecue, drink a ton of beer. We just so happen to be running a really long distance while we're there this weekend. Yeah. Um, and, and it was like, how hard can we make it? Like, what is the most bullshit route that we could find? For sure. So when I moved to Colorado, moved to Colorado, that's what I did was what's the most bullshit route that I could find. Like, and, and my mentality was if you can tackle these fat ass runs and finish them in the, what, however long it takes you, you will be prepared to run whatever race you want to run the rest of the year. So the fat asses were like the ultimate training ground to prepare you to face maximum adversity throughout the rest of the year. Um, so I, if that answers your question, it, 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 anywhere from a marathon to 50 K we had one that was a hundred K on the Highline canal trail, which is oh. fucking miserable. It's 170, you know, hundred K of, flat railroad grade from one end of Denver to the other. Yeah, Don't do the hood. Yeah. But that was <laughs> a mental bad. challenge. That was more, more of a mental challenge than physical. So yeah, I, I, I could, I only got 54 miles. That's when I called the quits. I couldn't, well, I couldn't even get the last 10 miles. <laughs> you didn't miss anything. <laughs> no. <laughs> how much, uh, how much slack did you catch being a quote in quote, outsider coming in starting to throw these races being from not from colorado i don't know i don't know if there's a persona around colorado like oh he's not from here type thing oh fuck yeah that, i mean i'm sure you probably really... still catch that being there you know oh yeah 10 years well, i had a guy so i'm the i'm the race director of the world championship packborough race in colorado oh, sweet and the, this year, I did. I had a guy tell me that, yes, John, we all know you're from Boston originally, but you live here now. And so the expectation is that you now need to assimilate to Midwest modesty. It's like, the fuck I do? <laughs> That's not how it works, dude. You don't move to Boston and then all the people in Boston say, listen, Mr. Kansas, uh, you now need to no longer be a shit kicker and learn how to use the F word, every other word and fuck your mother while we're at it. Right. Like that's not how it works. I am who I am. Yeah. Fuck run or don't. Uh, <laughs> so um, this is a great question actually. And it's one I've never been asked. And I want to thank you for asking it because uh, I'm going to give you the honest answer. When I first started HPRS um, like a week in, I got a phone call from another race director here in Colorado and they called me to quote, find out what it is that I'm cooking up. And throughout that entire phone call, she impressed upon me how I just, you know, I have a house, I have a, a newborn at home, like a toddler. I had, I had a two-year-old running around the house. You don't make any money being a race director. It's so much work for so little pay. You have a house, you have a wife, you have a kid to think about. You know, why don't you sell these anti-aging supplements instead? It's <laughs> like I, I, she was trying to rope me into this stupid pyramid scheme bullshit. Oh my god! Uh, and I gave her like an hour and a half of my time before I finally was like, okay, so now you know, thank you for your pitch and. Um, but you haven't done your homework on me. 
uh, I don't know if you know this, but I've already directed the first 200 miler in the world. I, I've been doing fat asses here for years. I know what goes into race direction. Um, so why don't you tell me why the fuck you actually called me? And her answer was, well, honestly, I just want to make sure you're not going to build a race the same weekend as mine. What? I was just like, oh, well, thank you for the warm welcome. Yeah. And now um, it will be. What weekend was that? <laughs> <laughs> it's in June. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there was uh, a couple other race directors who had started their own series. And I reached out to them and was like, hey, guys, you have a race coming up in in late April, early May. And I'd love to put a postcard in your race swag bag to advertise my fall race, my new race that I'm putting on in the fall. My race is 100K and a 50K. I want to advertise in your trail half marathon. And their answer was, oh, no, we, you know, we really reserve uh, that space for, for sponsors or for paying sponsors. I was like, okay, well, how much is it to pay to sponsor? I'll sponsor you. How much? And they said, well, you know, I, I think what we mean to say is you're a comp, you're a competitor. And so we're not going to advertise our competitor during our race. And I was like, really? Cause where I come from out East, all of us are in this together yeah. and we all advertise each other's races. That's how it is. That's how it's always been. So what is this bullshit about us being competitors? Um, so that was two. There was another guy that started a series the same month that I did. He, I started with one race. He started with seven. Um, and he was asked in an interview, you know, why are you starting with seven? Well, why not start with like one or two and, and have it grow over time? And, and his answer was, well, let's face it. There's a boom in ultra running akin to the boom in marathon running, you know, years ago. And, and I'm going to capitalize on that boom. And so for me, like, here's this guy just completely going against the grain at everything that this sport was known for community, um, respect, you know, uh, we're just out here running and, and you didn't really make, when I started, you, there wasn't really anybody making money. Off of race directing, it wasn't like a profession at the time in the trail and ultra scene. Uh, every, everything was a nonprofit thing. So, you know, for me to like sell myself out and jump in and be like, I'm going to do this for a living, uh, but I'm going to do it honestly. And, and I care about people. And then here's this other guy that's like, I'm just going to make as much money as I can as fast as I can. Fuck everybody. Um, next thing you know, we're butting heads because I called him out on it was like, what the fuck is this? You know? Um, so, so I would say from then, you know, from my fat asses, there were people, um, other race directors here in the front range who would, um, he had his own little minions that would go to, uh, local run groups at like Roadrunner sports or whatever, Boulder running company, uh, at the, at the store, they'd have their, you know, weekly Wednesday night group run. And his minion would be there to tell everybody not to run in my shit. And the reason is, is because John's late for everything. And to be honest, yeah, I was pretty often, I was late showing up for a fat ass. I'm talking like I was 15 minutes late showing up to a fat ass that I'm, that I'm organizing, but it's a fat ass. Like I've already given you the map, go fucking run. What are you waiting for me for? I'll catch up. I know where to go. Um, but yeah, like, so I would say that my, my welcome into race directing in, in Colorado was nothing but a giant fuck you go home, stay away. 
Uh, and here I am still doing this uh, eight years, nine years later. We're nine years, is it? Yeah, this was my ninth season. And uh, they still don't want me race directing in Colorado. They, I, I'm pretty sure every single one of them would, would prefer if I just disappear into the ether. That's not how it works. That's crazy. Out of that uh, intervention, how many of those people are you still friends with? Oh boy, that's another great question. Well, I divorced my wife. So <laughs> uh two of them uh started a petition against me in 2019 because i'm too mean uh just i don't know i think the answer is like three four who were at that intervention there's probably 13 people there i'm friends with i'm cordial friendly with probably five of them it's crazy but i think that's life like people don't how many people stick around in your life for a decade true very true you know and i i think people tend to forget that you know whether it's family or friends or close friends like it's very rare that you're close friends with somebody for a really long period of time or friends at all like hell i haven't talked to my own brother in 18 years like (laughs) you know so i mean that's life and but some people look at that as an indictment on who you are and it's like no that's fucking how life is like you get along and then eventually the people who serve a purpose in your world no longer serve that purpose in your world and so you both drift apart you move on yeah you you got to see the trail and ultra scene in colorado pretty much come up and i don't know if it's petered out or any or if it's still the same um stupid is it (laughs) yeah you know when i when I first started here, uh, when I first came here, I was shocked at how few trail and ultra running events there actually were in the mountains. I mean, there was like maybe six events, eight events, and most of them were down in the plains. I was like, right. these fucking mountains right here. Why are we running at Bear Creek Lake Park? <laughs> when there's, Chase. Yeah, when there's <laughs> this right here, like... Um, so now Colorado is the, has the third or fourth most ultra marathons in the country. Wow. Like 180 events throughout the year, uh, in, in Colorado. Um, yeah, I've, I've watched it grow, but, but now we're, we're all crawling all over each other. It's like a giant prick waving contest. It's frustrating. Um, for example, you guys want to hear a story? Yes, sir. I'm sure you do. So people don't know this, but Mad Moose was started by Justin Ricks and his wife, but Jordan Ricks also used to help mm-hmm. Mad Moose. And I'm not going to go into the specifics because it's not my place, but I'll just say that Justin and Jordan had a falling out. Yeah, and no, now, I didn't know that. And so now it's... I mean, Jordan's gone and Jordan no longer goes to Moab to help his brother. Well, Jordan lives in Woodland Park, which is outside of Colorado Springs. And he started his own race series known as Revenant Running. And then at the same time, here comes Aravipa. Aravipa, who has 36 events in the state of Arizona, decided that they now need to expand to Colorado. And, and I'm sitting here like, why? We've got it covered. Between Mad Moose, Revenant, HPRS, Bear Chase races, 
and our runners, I think we're pretty all set, but nope, here comes our Vipa. They're going to build a new hub in Colorado Springs. So uh, this, this May, there was literally a day where I had a race, Mad Moose had a race, and Ara Viper had a race, all on the same day, all within 10 miles of each other. And then the next weekend, Revenant had a race wow. in the same area. And so I was like, oh, this is great. Four race companies. That's not including Pike Peak Roadrunners that had a race and another organization that also had another race. And so now Colorado has become this just and we're like we all hate each other. None of us talk. We all try to stay in our own lane. Uh, most people would prefer I shut up because I'm the guy that, you know, obviously I'm telling you this story. So I'm the guy that's just going to be honest with you and tell you, like, here's the reality of what the fuck's going on out here. And it's not cool because we're all fighting for the same runners. We're all fighting for the same volunteers. So just, uh, I don't know if it was this weekend, this past weekend, uh, Mad Moose was supposed to have Golden Bears Ears Ultra in Utah. Oh, yeah. And then they, like, a couple months ago, they were saying, we only have two volunteers. We only have two volunteers. So if we can't get volunteers, we're going to cancel the race. And then they let everybody know, if we don't get volunteers, we're going to have to actually charge more money for registration fees so we can hire a staff to make sure that our aid stations are manned. Well, they got the volunteers, but they canceled the race anyway. Now they've turned around and said, but we're going to start a brand new 100 miler in Canyonlands in October next year. So I was like, wait a minute. You were just telling everybody you can't get enough volunteers. You're going to raise your rates so that you can hire staff. You canceled the race anyway and then turned around and now you're going to have a 100 mile race. <laughs> you know, it's just like none of this makes any sense. Um, and, and so I, I feel like, well, and I, I feel like I'm not, I'm not saying this to talk shit. I'm saying this because to me, it is a good example of a race series that's kind of in disarray. They're like this, there's this floundering activity about how do we make this work? How how can we make our own series work where we know we're going to get the volunteers or we know we're going to get the runners to sign up and run in this place because we've got all of this competition. We have all these people that we're, we're competing against. Uh, it's September right now. We're coming up on the end of September. The number of ultras in this state in the month of September alone is ridiculous. It's like how, so, you know, we have Sangre de Cristo ultras. We're down 43% over last year's registration number. Why? Because there's so much other shit to run. And I can't get volunteers because people are also running the other stuff. Um, so, so it really is a hassle and it, and it's getting to the point where even myself, I'm, I'm probably going to be in the same boat as Mad Moose. What am I going to get rid of? What am I going to move to a different month or a different weekend? Uh, you know, how do I stay out of Jordan's way with Revenant? How do, how do we work together to share the same state park? Um, none of us like our Vipa, we wish they'd go the fuck home. Why are they here? Because they all wish that we all wish they would go the fuck home. That's why they're here. They're here to disrupt us. It, it's, 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 uh, you know, Steve jobs, Apple, they were a market disruptor. Yeah. So is our Vipa. They're a market disruptor. Iron man, UTMB market disruptors, Spartan race market disruptors. I personally don't think that that business model works long-term. 
but to each his own. When there was uh, a, three other races were going on, did you notice uh, uh, less people running your races? Yeah, we had less running ours. We had less volunteers. We made it work. You know, I don't care if I... People assume that my goal is to sell out every race. I could give a shit if I sell out every race. My goal is to make sure the right people are at every race. Um, so, you know, for me, it was like, if I have less people, I have less people. I have 15 races. I have less people at this race. I'll have more at another race later. They'll pick up the slack, right? For, for me, the big issue is the volunteers. So yeah, I noticed that volunteer, it was hard to, it's still hard to, it's hard to find volunteers, period. Now we're all competing for volunteers. So it's like the volunteer pool is so small, we can't afford to fight each other for volunteers. Yeah. Um, but we're all such stubborn pricks that that's what we're going to end up doing anyway. <laughs> what kind of incentive do you give for volunteering at your races? I have the most generous volunteer program in the state. Uh, we offer 10, 10 to $20 an hour in HPRS race credits. Oh, wow. If you work in, or if you're a course marker, course sweep, or medical volunteer, it's 20 bucks an hour. Everybody else, it's 10 bucks an hour. If you work more than eight hours, you get a $40 bonus. If you work between the hours of 10 p.m. and 6 a.m., it's automatically 20 bucks an hour, regardless of what you're doing. Um, so you, you can amass those credits and then use them for discounted or comp race entry fees. You can also use those credits on our online store and buy swag or they're transferable. Um, they're good for a year after you earn them. If you yeah. do a day of trail work with me, which is like five hours of actual work, three hours of talking, just <laughs> uh, hanging out, you get a comp race entry for yeah. anything hundred K or shorter. Uh, if you want to comp to a, a hundred miler or 200 miler, you do two trail work days and it's free. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think we have some pretty good incentives. No. Yeah. That's definitely cool. And I think that a lot of people or a lot of race companies don't have those types of incentives and they're losing volunteers because of that. Like you have to incentivize somewhat. You have to make it worth people's while to come out to volunteer and given, you know, race credit hours or, um, you know, money towards races or swag or however they want to spend it. I think that's, that's a cool way of doing it. And I think I read that on your, your Facebook page, uh, you know, before just, I like it. I think it's cool. I volunteered at a couple of races this year and I just thought that, you know, it's a different environment than running because you're helping other people out. And I just, I just did it just to, you know, I was out there crewing and while I wasn't crewing, what right now with my runner for a couple hours, I would just jump up into the aid station and help out, you know, but it was, you know, it's a different side of things for sure. It's, 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 it was really, it was kind of a really cool eye opening experience. Like, Oh, these guys are suffering. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, to be honest too, you need some people with experience in there for your, your volunteers. I mean, you do. It's uh, great when you got the Boy Scouts and all that, but at one o'clock in the morning, the Boy Scouts aren't going to understand why someone's suffering and need ramen noodles or something, you know? Right. You know, it, this is how bad it's gotten. I have a race director friend. He owns a couple, three races, and he recently announced he'll take any volunteerism at any race, and he'll give you credits towards his race. So if you go and volunteer at the Bighorn 100 and then you want to run his race uh, in California, 
he will accept your volunteer hours from Bighorn and give you credit towards his race for you volunteering at someone else's race. Oh, now, wow. As a business owner, it's going to put him out of business. <laughs> like that yeah. is a horrible idea. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's not a good model. <laughs> use the shit out of that. Um, but the bigger story to me is like, that's an indictment on how hard it is for us to actually find volunteers. And I commend this guy for at least doing what he can to try to encourage people. Like, I don't care if you volunteer with me, go volunteer with anybody because we all need the help. Yeah. Uh, and he's trying to to reward that. And so that's where I commend him. It's not a decision I would make bless his heart, but you know, like that, that's where we're all at. Like we're all, we're all fighting each other. You know, that first, that first year of Indian Creeks, um, without all the volunteers, that race, there's no way that race could be even held. Correct. Holding that water up that mile damn hill. I don't remember how many bottles we took up we there. We can drive but, in now, Robbie. We don't have huh? to. We can drive in now. <laughs> drive it all yeah, out. You can he drive it all you. over now, right? <laughs> it took us the You'll have to ride my bike up with the trailer with 100 pounds on it. No, we drive it in now. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but you know, like, b- believe it or not, like the reality is, I'm seeing more and more races being canceled because they couldn't get the volunteers to host a man, a risk managed race. And so as a race director, you do actually have to make that tough decision. I don't have enough volunteers to host this race safely. Well, what am I going to do? I have one choice. Let's cancel it. All right. And, and that's becoming a reality. And I think what's, what's the reality that we haven't seen yet is that never mind canceling it this year a lot of races are going to disappear forever yeah, because they can't get volunteers. Yeah. So that's crazy. I did uh, realize it was such a problem. Oh, it's bad. Uh, this is the worst I've ever seen it. Like I've always struggled over the years to get volunteers. Like it's, I mean, who the fuck wants to spend them? I'd rather spend my day running <laughs> than popping someone's blisters, right? right. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, it makes sense. Like, we all have priorities <laughs> in life. We only have so many fucks to give, only so much free time. Our our loved ones only gives us so much time to train, so much time to race. Now I'm gonna give a day uh, to volunteering. No, I'd like rather save that day for training or a race. Like, I get it. Yeah. Um, but but this sport was built on volunteerism. And it, it only works if there's volunteerism. And, and the other side of it that I think people forget about is like when you go to the Boston Marathon and there's 20,000 people running there, well, there's 20,000 people with loved ones who want to be a part of the event that you're running in. So the Boston Marathon has this massive pool of volunteers to pull from, right? It's this, it's the families and friends of 20,000 runners. So let's say they've got like this pool of 60,000 people that they can, you know, come and volunteer. Right. Right. But for a trail race and my permit is capped at 200, my volunteer pool that I have to pull from is already really freaking small. And so if your loved ones are not willing or able to come out to be a part of the event by also volunteering, that hurts us. Uh, so I've, I've always tried to tell people like, bring your family out. They can earn credits and give them to you. Uh, next thing you know, if your wife or husband is like, oh, honey, another $300 raise. No, no, it's free. I did that. You did that volunteer work. So, (laughs) 
It's <laughs> a good I'm trade. To, I'm about to put my wife to work. <laughs> that or husband or yeah significant other partner life partner well now that my partner. wife's run her first 50k and this was on ultra sign up the other day looking at another one i'm like well there goes oh, that. It's, about... it's over now <laughs> hey so i got a question on the volunteer thing do you think that with the mega companies not the mega companies but the mega races uh, UTMB, Western States, the ones that require hard rock, the ones that require qualifiers to enter the race. Those qualifiers are ones that people are putting their time to train for, you know, the big horns, the, the run rabbit runs, those type of runs, you know, the ones that are qualifiers for Western, some UTMB the volunteers are probably putting their efforts towards those. Do you think that all those qualifying races are having effects on your races. Not saying I don't know if your races are qualifiers. I'm not sure, but um, I don't have any qualifiers. Okay. I've my Silver Heels 100 and my Sangre de Cristo 100. They both definitely meet every box to become a hard rock qualifier. Um, but, but you hear a lot. Of, you hear a lot of like, I mean, you look at, I mean, for Western States, for instance. I know that's that's the race, not the qualifier, but you just see the amount of people volunteering at those races and like willingly go out there to volunteer. Do you think that a lot of the volunteerism is taken away from your races to go out to those bigger races because more people are at them? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I can't. Yeah. I, I, I can't say otherwise. Yeah. I mean, but you know, <laughs> With hard rock, there's politics involved. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a hard rock this last year, <laughs> yeah. If you if you want to be a hard rock qualifier, you want to be a part of 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 hard rock. Um, you're raised to be a qual. You actually have it's nepotism. You have to subscribe to hard rock, and they actually. Well, if you're coming here and you're actually volunteering and you're being an active part of hard rock every year, then we will consider making your race a qualifier. But they don't state that anywhere. That's not in black and white. It's not in writing. That is just a personal preference of the hard rock board. And so for me, it's like, that's nepotism. That's horseshit. If I check all of these other boxes, why should I have to? Uh, they erase their rules, right? That's yeah. why I should have to. But at the end of the day, I'm somebody that's like, but put it in writing. Like, if if that's what you believe, if that's your thing, stand up for what you believe put it in fucking writing and let's make that what everybody follows. Um, and, and I'm somebody that I'm not going to kiss your ass just to make my race a qualifier for yours. That's not how I operate. The merits of my race should be enough to qualify you to run hard rock. Yeah. Um, now Western States does it differently. Their qualifiers are legit. Just the most attended hundred mile and 100 K races in the country. Yep. So why is Rocky Raccoon a qualify? Does finishing Rocky Raccoon qualify you to run Western States? No. Now I've run Rocky Raccoon and I would say, fuck no, that's not even close. <laughs> not even close. Right. I've run 20 hours at Rocky Raccoon. And then literally a couple months later ran Western States and finished 20 minutes before the final cutoff. Like 
that is not even apples to oranges. That's yeah. a Snickers bar to a hoagie. Like, <laughs> come on, right? Um, so, but but here's the thing: both of those races, Hard Rock and Western states, neither one of them will publicly like acknowledge the amount of power they have over the success of failure, success or failure over countless races in this sport. If you are not a hard rock or Western States qualifier, nobody's even looking at your race. And if they are, they're looking at it like, oh, I don't care if I have a hard rock or Western States qualifier, or I already have the qualifier. So now I can look at something else. So my races that are not qualifiers for either Western States or hard rock, again, both two very different um, ways of going about deciding your qualifiers. Um, in, in both of those cases, it, it's one of those, well, I, I, I can't, I can't do anything. My hands are tied. So, you know, same thing with the volunteers, man, like Western States typically gets 450 volunteers for Western States weekend. Yeah. And I am lucky if I get 40. Wow. For a hundred? For a hundred. Yeah. Like if I have 40 volunteers for my hundred miler, I'm stoked. But here's Western States getting 450. To be fair, they were begging this year for volunteers for the first time. Western States was actually begging. Wow. That is how bad it's gotten. Like even Western States is struggling to get the volunteers to put on their race. Hmm. I know that's a deep dive into this bullshit, um, but it's honest. Like, hey, this this is what's going on. Unless you're, unless you've got one of the biggest races, you're not going to be a qualifier. Nobody cares. Yeah, I know um, a lot of people. I mean, myself included. I'm i I'm going down that route. I'd like to run Western States. I know there's not a chance in hell that I ever get into Hard Rock. It's just that's just the nature of the beast. Because you're because you're. I, had, I just I don't. You know. I ran a qualifier every year for nine years for hard rock i had 128 tickets and the closest i've ever gotten was like 38 on the wait list in the oh lottery and i got all the way up to like three before yeah. the race start and everybody's like you gotta go and i'm like i'm not fucking going down there just to find out i'm not running again like <laughs> and then at, at the same time my wife emily she was a volunteer captain for URA aid station. And the whole reason she became the, the volunteer aid station captain for that aid station was because she could get extra tickets in their lottery. But then, you know, we started dating and I was like, well, let's actually look at this big picture. How Like you get extra tickets every year. Great. But how many years are you going to need to run a qualifier spending all the money on race entries, flying to these races, killing yourself in the hardest hundred milers in the country for a decade yeah. to never get a chance to run. Like yeah. that's pretty fucked up. And so she quit. She's no longer the aid captain for your aid station. Yeah. Because she's just like, there's, you're right. There's no chance in hell. I ever get a chance to run this race. So well, somebody, want to help. you know, somebody who's like me, for instance, like I'm essentially a nobody. I'm a back of the pack hundred mile runner and just, you know, like had, had a dream at one time, like to run hard rock. Cause I thought it would be a really cool race. And it's like, but it's not going to ever happen now that I've gotten a little bit smarter and I understand the system. There's no way 
that I'm ever going to run that race. I've come to the realization of that. So you're exactly right. Like, why do I put in my time, my money, all my effort running races for probably 10 years for even a half of a chance of running it? So when I could go out and do cool races that, you know, they're not qualifiers, but you get to see a cool part of the world. You get to meet some sweet, awesome people, you know, meet amazing volunteers. But I, I don't know. I just, I've come to that realization. It's, it's not going to happen. I lived in New Hampshire at sea level and started running hard rock qualifiers. I was, you know, doing tricks. <laughs> I was doing, I was doing tricks just to get airline miles from yeah. somebody <laughs> so that I could fly out West to run Leadville when it was a hard rock qualifier. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm legit like, what can I do? How can I help? Like, that's actually how I got into helping peak races in Vermont when I was a race director apprentice. Most everything I did for them wasn't just learning how to put on a race. It was, what can I do to get airline miles from this billionaire so he could fly me to Jackson Hole? So I, I know I recall in, in 2007, I I did work for this guy. He gave me airline miles. I flew to Jackson Hole. I then hitchhiked to Driggs, Idaho, uh, so that I could go to the Grand Tetons 100, which was a hard rock qualifier at the time. I slept on a picnic table at the base area of the ski area that the race was held at. I got up, I ran the 100 miler, I finished, I hitchhiked back to Jackson Hole Airport and then flew home. Like, talk about some poor ass 20 year old kid not on the privileged side of ultra running doing whatever I could to get into hard rock. And a decade after that, I still couldn't fucking get into hard rock. <laughs> like <laughs> that's a, that's a problem. Yeah. And, and, and one of the things I've said to those guys was, you know, Hey, why not have like an all never year instead of having a never lottery where there's 40 people, you know, there's 20, there's 2000 people vying for 40 spots. Why don't you just have a year where it's a hundred percent nevers? Yeah. And the answer, and, and I understood their answer. And I also didn't one part of the answer was, well, we need the veterans there because they keep an eye on the never people and they make sure that everybody's safe and they make sure everybody's getting through the course. And that's like part of that community. I understand that. But then another sentiment was, well, if, if you don't let the veterans run, then, you know, it's a whole different race. It changes the entire fabric of the race. And I call bullshit. In 17, I ran Western States for the second time. 90% of the field that year was running it for the first time. And everybody who's always there, we're still there. They were still pacing. They were still volunteering. And so if, if Hard Rock really has this community that they say they have, and they have this following and this nepotism that exists around their race, and it's so high and mighty, they're going to be there anyway, right? But I, I think the reality is that they, they know that they're not, If you know. Well, it seems like if you keep up that only letting 40 new people in every year and only recognizing the veterans, eventually the veterans are going to get to a point where they can no longer run the race. And then you're going to have people that can't get into the race. So they stop applying. And it seems like that. I mean, the business model just doesn't seem like it's it's there, like you would want to welcome a lot of new runners. It's to your race and it actually give like, a chance. Like, 
it sounds like the goal is that you just wait for people to disappear. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Man, that's inclusion to the, to its finest, isn't it? Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, that was a great rabbit hole. What else we got? <laughs> I do have a, a couple Let's of questions. Go down the... I would, I, yeah, I sure. want to, let me ask one. It's a, uh, it, it, it's, it's another rabbit hole, but I'm, I'm intrigued. So instead of, uh, genders, you move to humans. It seems like it was pretty controversial. Um, yeah, I don't know why. Yeah, no, I, 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 I like it, but what was like, now that you've, it's passed, you know, the season's gone on, like, do you see any changes happening to it? What was the feedback? Like, give us yeah, a story, so, like maybe um, why, why, it, why you'd made that change and like, what do you see positives, negatives from it? So the, the background of the story is that I think it was 2016, 2017, we became the first race series in the country to officially have a black and white policy on transgender athletes. And that 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 policy in black and white on our on our website basically just said we're going to recognize people how they recognize themselves. So if you identify as a as a woman and you were your biological sex is male and you identify as a woman and then you go and win the women's race. Okay. I like whatever. Yeah. We don't have a podium here anyway. I don't have a podium. I don't do first through third. We don't do age group awards. It's just yeah. fucking running. We're not going to the moon. We're not going to war. It's a hobby. Yeah. It's a hobby. Um, so for me, that was pretty simple. It's just, you know, if, if we're okay, sorry, it's pretty simple. <laughs> We're just going to recognize everybody how they identify. Yeah. Well, as as time wore on, as time wore on, and and the conversation continues in our sport, it got to a point last year where I, uh, you know, just some of the shit that I see out there and hear other people say and see other people type, it is the most ignorant shit I've ever witnessed. And 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 to me, it's like, here are all these people fighting for inclusion and accessibility in our sport. Like the conversation on, we need to bridge the gender gap between men and women. We need to find a way to get more women involved in the sport. And how are we going to do that? We need to have breast pumps, at, uh, generators at aid stations so women can breast pump. Uh, we need to have tampons out on the table visible so that nobody has to ask for a tampon. And that's all fine and well. Like I, I understand those things and I'm more than happy to accommodate generators at at certain aid stations if you need to plug in um, to take care of your, your health. I'm all for that. I don't think the tampons need to be out on the table, but I do have them. Just ask. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and it's funny on, on the, the Trail Sisters website, they wanted everybody to say it with us, vagina. It's like, oh, we can all say vagina out loud, but I can't say, do you have any tampons out loud? That doesn't make any sense. So so in all of this conversation that we're having about bridging the gender gap, we are unintentionally discriminating against individuals who do not identify on the binary. What are we doing to bridge the gap for non-binary individuals? Trans male, trans females, agender, gender fluid, just we're just ignoring them the conversation is just about men and women um so for me it got to the point where i was like you know enough 
like enough. Um, and I don't think non-binary is enough either. If, if when you're signing up for a race, you have three choices, male, female, non-binary. Non-binary actually does not cover the near the over 70 gender identities that actually exist out there. There's a shit ton of gender identities. So for me, it was like, if we're really going to be inclusive, if we're really going to open up accessibility to everybody, we need to do more to recognize everybody. So I changed the policy to um, when you're registering for my race, you can pick from seven different gender identities, male, female, non-binary, trans, gender fluid, gender expansive, or agender. And then we said, and we're no longer going to be posting gender in the results. Everybody is just going to be a finisher. So you're not going to be able to see male, female. Oh, cool. Now, what we got out of that was how dare you? You, you, do you guys realize that you just destroyed the women's race by not recognizing the women in the results? It's like, oh, well, I'm sorry, but if someone's name is Amanda and they came in, like, yeah. it's the first female name that you see in the results i'm pretty <laughs> sure that you know uh, deductive reasoning would have you uh, perhaps <laughs> understanding that that might be a woman and so i don't need to actually tell you if that's a woman or not right uh the other thing i said was is it any of your business what somebody else's gender identity is and I'm asking you guys that question. Is it really any of your business what somebody else's gender identity is? No. 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 Less. Does somebody else's gender identity have any effect on your run? No, not at all. Not Never at will. all. So fucking conversation's over. We're done here. But no, that's not the world we live in. So we brought gender back into the results. But instead, now the question is, do you want your gender listed in the results or not and you get to pick yes or no if you pick yes it will say male female or non-binary because those are the only options i have when I run sign up um, if you say no then the gender column will be blank next to your name and nobody needs to know what your gender identity is yeah um so so for me that was just a way for us to open the door to all peoples and say you're welcome here and however it is that you identify, you are welcome here. And if you don't want your loved ones to know that you identify as male when you were biologically born a female, uh, maybe the race results isn't the place that they want to find out that, that <laughs> there's an opportunity for you to be able to hide that information. And it's yeah, called right. it's called respect. Right. Yeah. Um, so so um yes, things have quieted down. Um, I noticed that rain shadow running up in Washington, they now do a similar thing when you're signing up for their races. Um, it's just a box where you type in what your gender identity is. So if you want to be a furry, you can type furry in that box and great. You get to be a furry at the race. Um, I would hope that they would show up in costume. <laughs> fuck yeah. Right? That'd be awesome. <laughs> furry costume yeah and i'm all for it if somebody wants to be a furry at my race come be a furry i don't care like yeah. let's just have a great time we're all we're doing here is supported mountain shit that's it like it's like stop it 
<laughs> so, um, yeah, we got a lot of pushback. We got a lot of hate. Uh, I got emails from people that one guy was like, oh, my wife and I always wondered if you were gay, but now we know for sure that you are. <laughs> I was like, really? All because I made a respectful policy for everybody to come and enjoy my races. Now I'm a homosexual. Like, <laughs> awesome. And then when I called him out on it, the next email I got back was, oh, my email address got hacked last night and somebody else sent that. That was oh, yeah, sure. I was like, oh, fuck off. Like, who? <laughs> <laughs> Who hacked your email just to send me an, a hate mail telling me I'm gay? Like, right. It'd be it, something it, way better. It was so over the top, hurtful and offensive. The, and look, I'm somebody who's like, everybody's, everybody is free to have their own opinion. Everybody's free to express their opinion. But I don't believe that you don't have the right to just blatantly be completely disrespectful to people because they have a different worldview than you, you know, and, and, and it's got, it got really hard. Um, but anyway, here we are a year later and we still have the same policies. Um, these are our seven gender identities. Do you want your gender and the results? And we go with it. And for me, if every race, I've got at least three people that identify as something other than male or female and every race I've had at least one person that has said, I don't want my name in the, my gender in the results. And so for me, I'm doing my job to make sure that those people are welcome here. Those people That's that awesome. do run the race, do they, do they compliment you on the decision that you made for that? No, man, people bitch more than they say thank you. No, I meant the, the individuals that have run the race that have identified other than male and female. Have they actually said anything to you? Some of them, yes. And it, it's a big thank you. Yeah. Okay. And, and I'm all for it. And I, I even had a, a <laughs> there's one woman runs with us and I noticed that she had selected non-binary once and there's one race she didn't want her name, her gender in the results, but then the next race she did. And so I was just like, Hey, um, do you, I hope you don't mind me asking, but how do you identify? And she was like, Oh, thank you for asking. Uh, I'm female. And I was like, Oh, well, I noticed that one race you selected a uh, non-binary and another race, you, did, you know, she goes, Oh, totally fucking mistake. But <laughs> <laughs> she was like, a total mistake. I don't even know what I clicked, but thank you so much for asking and for asking respectfully. And yeah. <laughs> it's just like, Oh, thank God I didn't piss somebody else off because we're so fucking <laughs> fragile. Like everybody is so fragile these days. Yeah. It's it blows yeah, with the fragile. Let's talk about fragile with the, the petition that got put out for you. Cause this goes along with the whole <laughs> this is women's right. rights thing, anyways, right? It does. <laughs> it does. You know, you know. Uh, go ahead, Robbie. What's the question? Sorry. <laughs> well, well, it was, it's a good segue to talk about what happened with that that petition that got put out. I don't remember what year it was. 2019. 2019. I'll never forget it. Um, honestly, one of the most traumatic experiences of my whole life. Um, yeah, uh, a group of women in Colorado's Front Range created a petition on change.org. Of all the things to put on change.org, this is what they felt was the most important to, to be on there was a petition demanding that I be somebody else. They demanded that I change my behavior 
in both of my actions and my words. They accused me of being a misogynist. They accused me of um, sexual harassment. Uh, they accused me of um, basically they they publicly spoke about my mental health in a way that I to this day find to be the utmost offensive thing you could do to anybody is talk about somebody else's mental health for them in a public forum. That's not your place ever to talk about anybody's mental health or their sickness or, or anything. Um, but uh, some of them spoke about my, my mental health in ways that I would say is not a hundred percent factual. Um, and it was all in this petition and they put it on change.org and they got like 500 signatures. And there were a handful of people in this community here um, that sided with them and demanded that um, I change who I am, change my behavior, change my word choice. I swear too much. I'm too aggressive. I'm too direct. I'm too blunt, too much of an asshole. I'm too mean, uh, whatever. Um, and, and you know, at, at that time in my life, I would say that they probably weren't, I wouldn't say that that was wrong. I don't also wouldn't say it's a hundred percent right. All everything that they alleged, but it, I don't think they were that far off. Yeah. I was, I was a prick and an asshole living a very unhealthy, unhappy life for many years. And, and those individuals were uh, in my inner circle and they, they were, um, you know, they were, they were part of the, uh, they were in on that, you know, and they, they experienced some of that. Um, so anyway, yeah, this petition came out on change.org and, uh, and anytime somebody disagrees with me on the internet now, that's what they would send a link to. <laughs> right. If I have a take or I have an opinion, uh, I think that this race is doing this wrong. I, I don't think that this is ethical. Oh yeah. Well, what about this petition? <laughs> Just like, fuck me. Like, really? Um, eventually change.org, um, chopped up that petition they chopped it up to hell. Like it doesn't even make sense if you read it now. Um, they took my name out of it. They took any mention of my mental health out of it. And they did that because the individuals who wrote the petition, not one time did they provide any evidence to support a single one of their claims. And when people ask them, well, where's the evidence to support your claim? Their answer was, well, you know, there's two sides to every story. So we, of course, encourage you to to get all sides of the story. And that's it. Like, they didn't ever support, they didn't provide anything. I've heard a lot more about it over the years. I've, I've had a chance to kind of meet up with old friends and, and, and hear their side of events. Robbie, you and I talked about it. Um, I, I got to together with another friend named Sheila who who confided in me that the, the main goal of the petition was in fact to put me out of business. Uh, it wasn't to get me to change my behavior. It wasn't to get me to, to, it was to embarrass me and put me out of business. And she heard that firsthand from one of the individuals who was in, helped create it and pass it around. Um, but I'm the kind of guy that's like, oh, great. You guys have 500 signatures. I've got 8,000 Facebook likes. Uh, which is the bigger number <laughs> and and why are, why do i have these eight thousand facebook likes is because all these people know know me and they like me and they like how i do it and they like my style 
And so when I say the right people are here, that's what I mean. It's the people that can fucking hack it, that don't mind a little tough love and a guy that swears a little bit and they don't take it personally. It, it's a, some of it, it's a shtick and some of it is just who I am like run or don't. Right. Um, but yeah, man, that, that was, um, that was really hard. I, I, I went through an awful lot of therapy, um, you know, I was already in a transitional period in my life when that petition came out. I got divorced in 2017. So a lot of the things that were spoken about in the petition that were actually true uh, were things that I'd already been working on. But you don't change overnight. And nobody else gets to decide who you are uh, or how you act or how you talk. Like, that's all on you. And you get to make the world that you live and what you put out in there. And I was already doing the work. And only continued to do the work after um, I did actually hire a PR firm to help me understand, um, you know, some of the the nuances <laughs> of owning a business and and putting yourself out there. And I'm not perfect. I'm still not perfect to this day. Even in this interview, I've said some shit that I'm sure people are going to hear, and they're like, "Fuck this guy," <laughs> you know. But it's okay. You don't have to agree with my opinion or like how I deliver it. You don't have to, but that doesn't mean I'm an asshole. It just means I'm a guy who you don't agree with and you don't like how I deliver it. That's it. (laughs) No. Everyday life. So, yeah, I mean, that, that was really, uh, that was a really tough period. Um, but for me, I knew, I knew what it was from the beginning, which was absolute bullshit. Some girl was bullying me on the internet and I called her out on it. And next thing, and then, that group of people were like, fuck him. Oh, fuck him for even calling you out. Right. Uh, how dare he? It's like, yeah, well, if somebody's accusing me of things on the internet, I'm going to reach out and find, Hey, so uh, tell me who the fuck are you? And have I even met you? And the girl was like, I actually, I volunteered at your race and I, I just wasn't impressed. I'm like, okay, well, so how about I call up your boss and tell them that uh, I had an internet interaction with you on the internet and I wasn't impressed. So they should fire your ass. Like you wouldn't like that, would you? And that's essentially what you just fucking did. Um, And so of course she went into a women's only group on Facebook and told them all that I bullied her. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm cooking tater tots at a 24 hour race in Palmer Lake. And I call out into the night tater tots, bacon. And the first thing I hear is fuck you. And uh, I was like, who the fuck was that? And it was, one of those girls that had an ax to grind. And I was just, and so I called, she was an ambassador for runner's roost. So I emailed the runner's roost. I was like, Hey, this is your ambassador. And this is how she conducted herself at this race. And that only sent it further And you know, so basically, um, yeah, there was a, there was quite a bees nest that got shaken up both ways. I was a wasp. I had the wasp nest. And these girls had a bee's nest and I was hitting theirs with a stick and they're hitting mine with a stick. I was in a place where I could just move on and let bygones be bygones, but no, they took it nuclear. And, um, you know, I ended up part of this cancel culture thing, um, just because we can't talk about our problems. I even offered to pay for a mediator to come in so we could all sit down in the same room together and hash it out. And I was like, I'll pay for it. And it was going to be like 800 bucks. And a month later, we still couldn't agree on a day. And I was like, fuck this. Like, I'm not going to waste my entire summer trying to figure out when I'm going to sit down and and talk with people that I can't reason with anyway. So I'm out. 
Uh, and next thing you know, they update their petition to say that some of us have tried to get John together to mediate, but he refused. And I was like, fucking refused. I offered to pay for it. That's not true, John. Like, no, it's it's totally fucking true. Like, so there, there's a lot of um, gaslighting itself in the petition and a lot of lying. And uh, there's enough people that know the full story that that can vouch for that. And uh, I know Robbie's one of those people. Um, you don't have to on the show, Robbie. I guess. Well, I was I was gonna say just knowing that inner circle, and you've always been very open with your mental health. Um, yeah, I got burned for it. Yeah, it's those people have some issues too. We can admit um, they're not the healthiest people, and they took out their frustrations on you. I I don't know understand why they did. Um, because you provided. L- lots of fun for many years for a lot of us for just who you are you know it was no there was no money involved we just would meet up and do our thing um you and know it was a good time there was there was no reason to personally attack you for who you are with your mental health which is bullshit you know what happened robbie i'll tell you what happened and this i believe is the truth this group of people that we're talking about they um they had their own motive for helping out HPRS and it was very self-serving. And, and for me, it was all about their status within the community that I created. And the minute that I put my foot down and no longer let them run the show, because I, you know, the first three years of HPRS, each one of these people would send me an email after every race. And it was this long negative bitching email about all the things I need to change. And if you're ever going to make it, this is what you need to do. And if HPRS is ever going to get big, you need to do this. And I would listen to them. And three years later, I didn't even recognize the business that I built because I was letting other people run the roost. And so eventually I had to get to a point where I was like, fuck this. If this is going to be what I want it to be, if this is going to be what I know it can be, and if it's going to be my mission and vision, I need to stand up to these people and tell them. Nope, that's not the way we're going to do it. I'm not implementing that. And as soon as I did that, it was, fuck you, we're out of here. Fuck you, we don't want to run with you. Fuck you, you're an asshole. And I was like, and and what, this goes all the way back to the beginning of this episode where I was telling you guys about the inner circle, uh, the people that threw the intervention, and I told them, at some point, I'm going to have to make business decisions that you're not going to like, and you're going to stop being my friend because of it. And they said, of course not. That's exactly what the fuck happened. And that is what led to this petition coming out years later. Um, Yeah, there's people out there that have stories about how they said something to me at a race that pissed me off. And I totally was a fucking asshole to them in my response. Yep, that's true. If you're a dick to me, I'm going to give you exactly what you just gave me. I also have my own personal traumas. Uh, of being bullied by my mom and my brother growing up. And so there are traumatic triggers that happen at a race that if you approach me and and I feel like you're approaching me in a threatening manner, I'm immediately on the defensive and I'm going to attack back. That's part of my mental health. That's what makes me a human being. All of us have shit like that. But there's a lot of people in the world that, oh, the customer's always right. I have to be perfect at all fucking times. And I'm like, no, I don't live in that world. I don't follow your social construct of the customer's always right because they're not. Uh, you know, 
So, so anyway, end of the day. Yeah. The people who said that, of course, we're going to be your friend. As soon as I stood up to them and decided to take control of my business and build what I wanted to build, that's when they left. And that happened in 17. And I almost went out of business that year. And, and the reason why is because when they left, they took their minions with them. And to be frank, they all have their own little cult. They're culty. It's crazy you say that because I was, uh, I had disappeared for different reasons and you know those reasons, but yeah. every everyone was trying to identify as an ultra runner. They were trying to show his dick's bigger, tits are bigger, whatever. And living at that time in Colorado with that scene was just toxic. And you know this, just that group that grew so big just became just a toxic mess of people that if you did something better or did something, they were out to get you. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt anyways. And you, we both lost lots of good friends at that time. Then they're still gone and I don't ever care to talk to them again. So I'm glad they're gone. <laughs> yeah, I can. And yeah. they're not welcome here. And I'm cool if they don't run here. I'm care. I'm cool if their friends don't run here. Uh, again, that's not about the money for me. Of course, this is what I do for a living, but my time and energy is not worth the entry fee that they will pay for me to have to put up with their fucking drama <laughs> and bullshit. And then come to find out like after the t- petition against me, they made another petition against another race director that was total bullshit. And some people knew about like knew that it was bullshit and it kind of negated the effect of their, their, their petition against me. Cause then all of a sudden people realized, Oh, these girls just have some weird fucking ax to grind against dudes. They don't like, <laughs> like it's reverse sexism. Like it's sexism. Yep. They can't find a man to give them what they want. I didn't say that. <laughs> I said that. <laughs> true. But true story. Yeah. Great, like, now we got canceled. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's happening. Really fucking gross though. Like the whole thing really fucking gross. A lot of lying. A lot of them going around telling people, like one guy, he's been running with me from the beginning. They told him, you need to sign this petition or we won't be your friend anymore. And he's like, well, every time some shit's happened in my life, the first person who's called or texted me is John, not you. So I'm not fucking signing your petition. (laughs) Uh, It's just, it got really gross, really gross, really fast. And, And I'll tell you, like this happened in 19. So what it, we're, we're three and a half years out of that. And somebody was out, uh, a friend of mine was out running from Grays and Tories over to Mount Edwards. This a, that's a lot of mountain. And she had her HPRS hat on and she ran into a guy up there and he's like, oh, somebody likes running. She's like, yeah, you should come check out HPRS. And the guy said, well, I would have until I heard that the race director is a real piece of fucking garbage. And Right. She's just like, really? Like I'm for, I'm at 13,000 feet on some mountain Ridge. And this guy thought it was appropriate to say that he heard you're a piece of garbage. And I told her, I was like, you know, if you look at the petition of the 500 signatures, more than half of those people have never met me more than more than half of those people had never run one of my races. That's crazy. But the damage is done. Yeah. So let's, um, that's a happy topic. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, you're welcome. 
Well, let's get to a happier topic. You know, I, I know you're, uh, I don't know if this is the right word, fascination with Leadville. <laughs> That's happier? <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't, we don't have to talk about all the bad parts, but I wanted to talk about, you always had the numbers of how many people signed up, how many people ran, how many people quit. Mm-hmm. All that stuff, and you did that for years. I still do it. I was gonna. That's that was gonna be my question. Do you still do it? I yes. So what Robbie's talking about is I have a spreadsheet on my computer that has the total number of finishers for every trail race, half marathon or longer, in the state of Colorado as far back as two thousand four. Wow. So I have twenty. I have uh, yeah, like eighteen years of data. Uh, on all the races in Colorado. So I know the ebbs and flows, who's doing well, who's not, what race I actually, is dying. I actually think I saw that you posted it one time, like cost of a race. Yeah. And yeah, I did see that. Yeah. Oh, I well, I do that too. I have another spreadsheet that keeps track of the entry fees for every trail race, half marathon or longer in the state of Colorado every year. So I know what the average cost of entry is. Uh, and in Colorado, it's ridiculously high. And yeah. it just keeps going up. Yeah. Well, races keep raising prices and raising prices. And I'm like, Phew. like I get inflation's going up, but yeah, you know, but it's not, big, not enough, not that much. No, it's not. <laughs> There's a race that I'm looking at for next year and it's a hundred percent self-supported. Yeah. It's an actual race. You pay race directors to run the race. And I get there's like fees and stuff like that, but it's a hundred percent self-supported. You have to have your own crew and it's $500. We're going to say something. Or what? Or what? What are you providing? You give me a belt buckle at the end. Maybe a t-shirt for $500. It costs eight bucks to make the belt buckle. Right? Is it, is it lined with gold and diamonds? No. Better be. (laughs) It's like $500. I don't want to run the race now. I'm just like, out of principle, I'm like, that is insanely expensive for zero support. You know why they, but you know why they do it? Because some people will pay it. But they cap it at 50 people, and I think last year they had 14 run it. Because it's a it's a pretty remote place, and I I don't know. It's I'm not going to say the name, but it's, yeah, it's a... Well, they, made, they, they made five grand off of 14 people. That's true. Right. That's true. Right. Right. It didn't do anything. No. So I've got the permits and the buckle. Good job. <laughs> yeah. What, what was your Leadville question, Robbie? That's true. I keep track of all this shit. I have all these spreadsheets. Oh, I was going to ask Um, I didn't uh, see how this year went. How did this year go? They were actually up this year. Um, it, it is, it was, I don't know if it's true or not, but it was to my understanding that the forest service finally cut their cap. So the, okay. their, their permit used to allow 850 runners every year and it's to my understanding that they finally had that cut down to to probably 700 and they started 717 runners this year wow um they had 364 finishers this year oh less than half on yeah they're finishing it used to be 60 percent uh their finishers rate is now around 40 percent wow um this was an up year. They had 680 last year. So 717. But to be fair, when you when they canceled COVID, uh canceled in 2020 due to COVID, they allowed everybody to pick 
either 21 or 22 to be the uh-huh. year that they ran it. So that 717, they're still entertaining rollovers from 2020. So so I look at that and say, all right, well, they had an up year, but how many of those people were deferrals from 2020? I don't know what the number of new registrants were. Right. And, and to me, it's like, okay, well, if if you did 680 last year and 717 this year, how many of those were rollovers? And and chances are that means that the numbers actually the numbers are way down. So next year is yeah, when we're probably we'll learn, we'll learn a lot. We'll see the real numbers again. Correct. What was that year they I can't remember? 13. There was all people, all the the crap that went on. There's too many people running. Yeah. So that was 2013. They had 943 starters. And that's How the many? most they have 943. And that is the most they've ever started. Uh, until 2019, they were back up to 831. Um, so, you know, hey, Lifetime Fitness, they bought the series for a million bucks at least. Really? Some, oh, yeah. They paid a million bucks for the Leadville Ray series. Uh, some people believe that Ken Kluber got paid a million bucks and Mary Lee got paid a million bucks. So it was actually two. Um, I, I don't know for a fact. Um, I just know that Lifetime paid a million bucks and their goal was, I mean, like any corporation, put as many bodies as you can out on the trail to, to make as much profit as you possibly can. Um, they, they've already paid off their investment, the million bucks. They've already made it back. So now they're in gravy. Um, but uh, yeah, I think over time, Lifetime has had to learn some hard lessons that uh, it's not a free-for-all. And the land managers do actually care about the participant cap that they gave you. Uh, so again, 2013, their cap was 850 runners and they started a hundred over their cap. That's a big deal. That's a, that's a fuck you to the land, to the resource. Um, and that's part of what pissed me off about Leadville that year. And it actually was an impetus for why I started HPRS because I couldn't stand this corporate corporatization that was coming into our sport. And all of a sudden we stopped giving a shit about the mountains and we stopped giving a shit about the people. Now we're just caring, caring about how much money can I make? How much money, right? And the, the crazy thing about Leadville is such a big race. You could have, you know, just one runner with 30 people in his group, you know, supporting and crewing him. Yeah. And so you can't, the- Leadville cannot support that many people. The surrounding mountains can't support that many people. It just, it's craziness. So if you'd been to Leadville at any point in time, yeah, it was like you could have as many crew vehicles and crew persons as you possibly could want. And everybody like, to Winfield, you know, right. And like, here are these people, you know, they're at Twin Lakes and they've got a crew of 10 people waiting for them to come out of the woods. And it's like, motherfucker, like you only need two. You got 10, <laughs> right? So, um, so last year, the, like the, they finally, like the land managers have cracked down on this. And that's why last year they announced that you're now only allowed one crew vehicle at Leadville and and two crew persons. And if you plan on having pacers later on, then one of those pacers must be included in that number of crew people that you can have. You also can no longer have a crew at Winfield. That's good. And your pacers cannot go to a Winfield either. Like you're picking up a pacer at Twin Lakes too. You're gonna pick them up at Twins. Yeah. They gotta go in and out with you. Yeah. So so as you can see, like 
and it's funny because in 13 like all that shit went down and i wrote a blog post and told everybody like this was an epic shit show. It was a fucking embarrassment and the worst directed race of all time in the history of our sport. Hard Rock said, oh, Leadville, because of that, you're no longer a Hard Rock qualifier. Like it just, just doesn't match what we're doing here. So you're gone. And Ken Kluber's response was, well, we didn't ask to be a qualifier anyway, so we don't care. Um, but it was like, but that's not the point, Ken. The point is that you guys have fucked this up. <laughs> And um, it got really bad. And, and I wrote a blog post and was like, here's the 10 things I noticed and what I would do to fix it. And um, nine years later, everything I suggested, they've implemented at some point. And all the things that I said that were going to happen if they don't fix it have happened. Um, now, I'm the outsider. I came into Colorado. I told them the truth about Leadville. This is what's going to happen if they don't fix it. This is a lie. This is hard. And everybody, I mean, fuck you, dude. Who the fuck are you to come in here and talk shit about our most beloved race? And I'm like, I'm the guy that's like, hey, it's not my fault you've subscribed to something that's a total lie. And <laughs> it's total, like, detrimental to our sport and detrimental to the environment. Um, But all these years later, it's like, you know, every time something else comes down the pike and I'm sitting at home, I tell my wife, it's like, and there's another thing I said was going to happen. That's finally <laughs> happened. So I wasn't wrong, but I'm still an asshole for ever mentioning it. So what do I know? <laughs> what do I know? I've only directed more races than anybody in the history of this state. Really? Oh, oh fuck. Yeah. By a long shot. Do you know this how many races you've directed so far? I do. This next uh, race I'm putting on is my 73rd event directed. Oh, wow. That's not including fat asses. That's like official races. I've now directed 73 official events. Oh, that's nice. So is Indian Creek going to be 74? Uh, yes, it will. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I even called Doc Horton, David Horton. How do I even call him? Like, how many races have you directed? I need to know. Uh, cause I figure like he's up there. Right. And, and he's got like, he does two a year now and he's, he's, he's directed like 96 races in his career. Wow. And well, you're so, catching up. So for me, it's like, yeah, I know exactly the, the race that I'll catch David Horton and because I'm like, well, how many people have directed more races than doc Horton? Like he's been doing it forever. Can't be yeah, many. Right? And so, yeah, like um, for sure. Like that's probably my goal right now is to, <laughs> All these people that want me to disappear, I'm like, uh, no, my goal is to direct more races, more ultras <laughs> than anybody in the history of the sport. Uh, so that 20 years from now, uh, you guys can't avoid me forever. All right. <laughs> Being some Hall of Fame. <laughs> you You're know. in the history books now. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You can't take that from me. Right. Hey, speaking so of... the uh, event going on... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Justin. Oh, I was just going to say, speaking of, of races that you do, you got a, a snowshoe race coming up. Do you see that becoming a more part of your calendars? Like adding more style races like that coming up? Uh, so when I, the first race I, I helped out with in Vermont was a snowshoe marathon. And back then that was like fucking crazy. There was no such yeah. thing as a snowshoe marathon. And then uh, one day I was like, hey Andy, like we should do a snowshoe hundred mile. And he's oh. like, nobody Nobody will sign up for that. I was like, I think they will. He's like, tell you what, if you can get, you know, if you can get six people to do a snowshoe 50 miler with you, 
and you do it this year, then next year I'll have a snowshoe hundred. So I was like, all right. Oh, next thing you know, I've got 13 dudes <laughs> out and uh, we went out before the marathon. We did the marathon course throughout the night, took an hour nap in the car and then lined up for the marathon. And so we did it with all 13 of us did a snowshoe 50 mile. And it was the most awful fucking thing I've ever done still to this day. <laughs> I've, I've done a loop at the Barkley. The snowshoe 50 miler was the worst. Um, but to this day, they still have the snowshoe 100 to this day in Vermont. Wow. Um, oh, wow. So, so for me, it was like, you know, I, I want to continue to offer neat opportunities for people to get out and recreate in the mountains. Yeah. Like it, it's just fun. And, uh, there's not a lot of snowshoe races in Colorado. I only know of like two. Yeah. And, it was like the one in Durango then. Oh, now there's three. <laughs> uh, Leadville has one and Sugarloaf. Up oh, in Sugarloaf. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it was just like, you know, uh, the area where we're going to put it on, they get like 300 inches of snow every winter. Most winters. That'll be fun. But if they don't get any snow, we can still have a trail race. Uh, <laughs> you win no matter what. <laughs> right. It's like, it's just North of Taos uh, on the Colorado New Mexico border. Oh, so, really? Yeah. So like some winters, Taos doesn't get shit for snow, right? Right. There's no snow. We still have a race. So that was kind of the no brainer for me. It's like, if there's snow, we have snowshoes. If there isn't, we have a trail race. Um, so let's put it in March. And uh, I, I see that the future of the sport is, is leaning more towards creativity. And yeah. I, I think the events that are, are more creative are the ones that are going to succeed. For example, the backyard ultra, that's some creative shit. And look at how that took off. Yeah. Now you're starting to see there was just this race up in Wyoming or Montana, 350 mile. I forget what it's called. The Galatin, the some Galatin thing. It was a 350 mile stage race. Uh, and like, that's the kind of shit that that's, that's going to be the new thing. I, I really do. Like the more unique it is, um, the more people are, are likely to sign up for it because everything's the same yeah do we, do we really need another 50k right do we need another 100 miler there's only 190 of them now like <laughs> we went out to that uh crazy uh mountain 100 i don't know if you heard of that one i have um a lot of that was on private land so that, that's going to be huge too because no, no trail so people you know to... like some of your styles where you just bushwhacking up the side of the hill well the thing is i can uh, tell you more about that than <laughs> i know but <laughs> 2020 increased um uses of public lands tremendously so here in colorado all of these you know jefferson county state parks whatever they're all like there's already too many people we can't permit a race now and so people need to wake up and realize that as 2020 came and everybody got back out on the trails and they're still out on the trails well that takes user days away from races. And so now it's much harder for me to get a permit from a state park because there's only so many user days available in a year. Mm. So the solution is like Sangre de Cristo, which is my 200 miler. We're on a private ranch that borders Forest Service land. And the whole reason that I host it on the private ranch is because they'll let us, the Forest Service won't. 
Like they're That's just, awesome. Yeah. So yeah, I think going to private land is going to be huge too. Yeah. But then you really got to get fucking creative because how many private landowners have trails? Like you're saying, like the one, there's no trails. There wasn't, I don't know how much, there wasn't much trail from what I heard. Uh, It was a a 12 mile section and about 10 miles of it were no trails. It was just, they just put flags up and you just followed the flags. But I mean, you didn't really like have to follow the flags. It's kind of just however you wanted to get up and get down. You know, I don't think they cared. No one's out there. I mean, you weren't cutting any. You got to get up to get down. Yeah. I mean, you weren't going any, you know, you weren't doing shortcuts by any means because there's no way like you had to go up, (laughs) had to go back down. So it's like you, if you went a different route, you were probably going to extend your run. So you went the shortest route possible, which would happen to be where the flags were. But it was kind of neat because there was no trail. It was just, you know, you kind of just followed the path. You could see like the footsteps from the 50 or 60 people that went in front of you. And so I thought it was super cool. And they had these massive Karens out there that were, uh, I mean, 10 foot tall. Karens? Oh my God. Stay away from, you guys stay away from the Karens. <laughs> no Karens on the trail. <laughs> oh, Karens. Sorry. Oh, Karens, whatever you call them. I call them Karens, whatever. <laughs> I don't like either. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's my uh, Texas accent Karen coming out. Man. We don't have those in Texas. So, uh, yeah, no, they but just had these massive ever- ones out there, and you just kind of you ran to that one, and then you ran to the next one. It was it was pretty cool. Karens are the same shape as Karens. <laughs> yeah, they definitely are. That'd be a good shirt. <laughs> you know that troll and ultra symbol? Yeah. <laughs> you can do that as a character. <laughs> They'd love that. Hey, what's uh what's Talk one of the... the good stories that you have coming out of the stories ultra? Because that's just always a cool one that everybody likes. Like I know when you went you went virtual that one year uh the scavenger hunt everybody loved the scavenger hunt from the facebook page like but you had to have like some cool stories that have come out of that race you know stories is um it's it's traditionally been an opportunity for people to get really personal and so like i've learned a lot about a lot of people uh at that race they like you know they get to that vulnerable moment and then they record a podcast interview with me and the shit that they say i'm always just blown away that <laughs> they would choose my podcast to just throw that out there into the ether um and and i'm they're so brave and uh i, I think it's so very cool i, I I've, I've had somebody come out <laughs> uh in that interview uh for stories ultra um but yeah, it's it's all over the place. I actually, you know, I can't really. I, I for me, it's the more profound conversations that we have, because on the so on the back of everybody's bib is a question, and the questions are like, "Who is God to you?" Uh, you know, what have you learned about trust? Or you know, just some thought provoking existential bullshit. Yeah. Um, but I never expected that our runners would, you know, whether they talk on the show or not. Um, I never expected them to take the questions as seriously as they have. And so, you know, when the runners do share their story or they share the answer to their question, it's always like the most profound shit. It's just awesome that people are willing to be that human. Yeah. Uh, And that's the point. 
So yeah, I couldn't pinpoint one specific story from, from stories. Um, I got a lot of other stories. <laughs> well, I can say that the I've never seen more people cry at a finish line than stories ultras. Yeah. Like every year. And once rough. that, you know, timer goes off, there's at least 10, 12 people crying. And then well, they come over and like you said, console. And you're like, Oh, well, all right. February. <laughs> it's in Colorado Springs. Yeah. It could be, muddy. it could be really fucking snowy. We had like three feet of snow one year. Uh, the night before the race, I was, I must've dug, dug an aid station for hours. Dug Wasn't that snow. this year? Wasn't this year real bad? No, it wasn't as bad as the year oh, okay. before you know, or a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, you know, it's cold, it's snowy. Uh, it's, it's really fucking dark the whole time. Mostly <laughs> you know, like a long night. And then there's this question on the back of your bib that makes you question everything while you're out running. Right. Yeah. Cause what do we do when we run ultras? You just have diarrhea of the brain <laughs> and, and yeah, diarrhea. Like, <laughs> Oh, I've never thought of it that way. You know, I there, there's two stories. Uh, you know, you wanted to ask you talk about stories. You wanted to ask me about runner A. Oh yeah. Yeah, let's go. So runner A. So runner, I wrote an article. We had two close calls this year. Um, one was at Kuchara, brand new trail race, very wilderness area. Um, and I had two runners not come across a finish line at the eleven o'clock cutoff. And then I drove up the mountain and like two miles out at midnight and there was no sign of them. So uh, it was also raining and 40 degrees. So I initiated search and rescue and ultimately we found them and they were safe. And so that happened. And then the very next race was a silver Hills 100 and last call fifties. And so I made it very clear in my pre-race meeting for that one, that we're done fucking around and everybody's got to show up ready to fucking rock. Uh, this is not an amusement ride. This is an extreme sport. And so you need to be prepared. You need to be trained. You need to have the tools that I've given you to be able to navigate it safely. And we had this guy show up. It was like th this year I decided, what if I got rid of the qualifier and I got rid of the volunteer requirement for this hundred? Would that help our registration numbers? And the answer is no. Uh, and instead I got burned for it. I got burned by this guy who showed up and ran his first ultra ever at the Silver Heels 100. Oh and my gosh. if you could take like a group of 20 people and they're all running their first ultra together, um, there'd be like 20 different mistakes, right? This guy basically made every mistake of all 20 people all by himself throughout the entire <laughs> Um, it was fucking bad. Like it was so bad. Um, it, 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 it got to the point where every runner on the course ended up knowing where he was so that, cause we were all keeping an, an eye on him. Every volunteer knew where he was and when to expect him next. Cause we were all keeping an eye on him. Um, I named him, I wrote a report about it, put it on the, the, you know, the news blog on HPRS website. And I refer to him as runner A because I didn't want to just say his name, right? Like, but for me, it was a teachable moment. It wasn't to embarrass him. It wasn't to to call him out. It was, hey, everybody, this is this happened. And this is unacceptable, especially for this sport, especially for a 100 mile race. This is fucking bullshit. 
um, this cannot be the normal. This will not be accepted. And moving forward, if if I determine as the race director that you're unprepared, underprepared, or untrained for what you're about to take on, I have the right to refuse you entry into my race. And I'll send you home without a refund or a credit. I don't care. Like I'm, this is my livelihood. They're my they're my permits. They're it's my insurance. It's a roof over my head and food on my table. And if you fuck this up, you will fuck it up for everybody and I will be out of a job. So I can't mess around with this. Um, so I wrote this article, a uh, pretty good detailed account recount of what this guy did, including shitting on the trail. Uh, oh, no. like, like right on the trail, right on the trail. Like, I was like six inches off the trail, but come on, that's on the trail. Yeah, that's um, trail. I'm running down in the aid station and there he is break dancing with a turd coming out of his butthole. I could see his balls and everything, man. Like, it was, <laughs> and he's like, and his reaction when he saw me was, oh shit. And I was like, yeah, oh shit is right. Like what <laughs> the fuck are we doing? Um, he drank, he put peanut butter in his water throughout the whole race. What? And just, yeah, just some weird bizarre shit, right? Well, come to find out this dude's signed up for Bigfoot 200. <laughs> and, you know, in writing the article about this is the near miss that we had, this is everything that happened, that spread throughout the ultra trail and ultra running community. And everybody knew who, like, runner A and all the <laughs> runner A jokes that were out there, um, which was all fine and well. But, man, the, the community, why didn't I disqualify him? Why didn't I take his bib away from him? Why didn't I refuse to let him continue past the native station? Like people were like legit condemning our behavior and condemning our actions. And for us, it was like, look, myself or nobody else on my staff ever noticed a strike two personally. Like I saw a strike one, but I never saw a strike two. My wife saw her own strike one, but I'm running the race myself. So she didn't communicate that to me until like two days later when we finally <laughs> debriefed the event. Right. Um, so we didn't have like a full scope until two days later when I wrote a bulleted list of everything that fucking happened from all these firsthand accounts. And that's what I shared. Anyway, um, he was going to Bigfoot and it was obvious to us that he was not prepared to take on something like that. Um, I reached out to the race directors of Bigfoot 200 and warned them uh, about him. And I shared the article and told them this was our experience with him at Silver Hills. You might want to put some safeguards in place to protect yourselves as well as protecting him. Um, and then he went on and he ended up finishing the Bigfoot 200. Oh. And this is, this is the follow-up. I got a direct message from some other 20-year-old kid who was like, hey, man, uh, I ran with runner A at the Bigfoot 200, and you're a real fucking asshole because he actually finished Bigfoot. And I'm sitting here like, oh, so because he went out and made it to the finish line of the Bigfoot 200, that now excuses the epic shit show that he was at my race that jeopardized the health and safety of my volunteers, my runners, my staff. Just because he finished Bigfoot, I'm now supposed to forget about that? Like, he's like, well, I, I ran the race with him. I ran the whole race with him. I was like, well, no wonder he finished. He had a friend, <laughs> somebody <laughs> to hold his hand. Like, that's how we finished our race. <laughs> like, nothing has changed here other than he's probably not shitting in the middle of the trail, man. Probably. Um, 
So yeah, like it, he ended up finishing Bigfoot and good for him. Uh, quite an accomplishment. Um, but at the same time, uh, he's not allowed to run here again until he volunteers 16 hours at my races. Like that's, you got to come and volunteer and you got to take the We Belong virtual series, Ultra 101. I want to make sure you know what the fuck you're doing before I let you run here again. Um, and I didn't DQ him, but I've made it difficult for him to come back. And that's a personal decision to protect my business. Yeah. Uh, and and again, people forget, like there's a fine line between business and friendship. And when you're a business owner, it's all about protecting. So it's protecting yourself. It's risk yeah. management. Right. Uh, so anyway, yeah, that's the follow up. This this guy was an epic shit show. Literally, uh, went on to finish the Bigfoot 200, and because he finished the Bigfoot 200, I am now the world's biggest asshole. What's new? <laughs> My fault. My bad, everybody. So, right. so, yeah. so uh, let's start wrapping things up. You got San Grid Cristo next week. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, uh, Sangre de Cristo Ultras. Uh, we have a 200-mile, 100-mile, 100K, 50-mile, 50K, 27K, and an 8-mile. Oh, my God. <laughs> so all. Legit a distance for everybody. Um, it's in a beautiful location. The Sangre de Cristo Mountains are um, southern Colorado mountains that are just incredibly dramatic. Uh, the leaves are changing this time of year. I think we're a little ahead of the foliage uh, this year. That's okay. Um, the race takes place on the Rainbow Trail, uh, which is a wilderness boundary. So, like, legit three feet beside you the entire way is a wilderness area. Uh, I think it's a really beautiful place to run. Um, really awesome event that we have. It's in a dark sky community called West Cliff, Colorado, which means there's zero light pollution. Uh, the stars there are, I mean, talk about feeling like you're, like, legit it, insignificant, which you are. Uh, that place does it. <laughs> you yeah. look up and see the, see the stars and the galaxies. Um, really awesome event, and uh, I'm excited to put it on. So, what's the, what's the course for the hundred mile and the two hundred miler on yeah. the Rainbow Trail? So Mountain backs. Yeah. So everybody starts by going up to Music Pass. It's a twenty three hundred foot climb in four miles. Fun. Wow. Uh, then you turn around and come right back down. Uh, check in at the start finish. And then you do an out and back on the rainbow trail. Um, so the 50K goes out to Colony Creek and then comes back. And then the 50 mile goes out to the next aid station and comes back. And the 100K goes out to the furthest aid station and comes back. Um, and then the 100 mile, they do that. Um, they do that out and back twice out to the furthest aid station and back. And then every race finishes with that same trek up to Music Pass. Oh no. <laughs> Everybody finishes with that, right? Well, if you're in the 200 mile, you're just doing the 100 miler twice. So it's 208 miles. And bonus miles are free. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and charge you for them. Uh, <laughs> but they have to do music pass twice in the middle. Oh my gosh. Oh, because they got to come back and do it again. You they got to finish the 100 and then start the 100 again. <laughs> That's right. So they end their first hundred with it and start their second hundred with it. Savage. Uh, and and that's pretty much where we find out who's going to run 200 miles or not. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then they, yeah, they just run the hundred mile course twice. Um, but quite an adventure. It's the highest 200 miler in North America. Um, 
we've got eight eight people on the roster so far for this year. We don't get a lot of people. Um, but again, recently I um you know, I, I disagree that we need to charge fifteen hundred dollars for a two hundred mile race. I think that's just bullshit. It does not at all cost that much money to put on that put on that distance. The first two hundred miler I put on was two hundred bucks, dollar a mile. Uh, so <laughs> this year it was it was six hundred bucks um, to sign up. But I, you were mentioning it before. Um, I did a little research and discovered that if you take out Tahoe, Bigfoot, Moab, and Cocodona. So that would be all three destination trail 200s and Aravipas 200 miler. They're the only ones that are 1500 bucks. Every other 200 miler in the country is like 400 bucks or less, 500 bucks or less. So next year I'm going to open registration for 400 bucks for a 200 miler. Wow. Nice. That's awesome. I'm there anyway. So I was going to say you're logistically already there, right? There. Yeah. Like for, for me, like I have, you know, the bulk of the races are Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I have a 200 miler that starts on Wednesday. So for me, it's like, I showed up early to camp a, a couple of extra days and uh, I've got three volunteers. I pay 500 bucks each for being there. Aid captains at these, at these aid stations. Uh, so it's 1500 bucks like to put on the 200 miler and two extra days. So for me, it's like, I don't need to charge this. I can charge yeah. 400 and still make it work. So that's what I'm going to do. That's awesome. Do you have aid stations in between the, the points for the turnaround or is it just a straight point to the next aid station? Uh, well, it's an out and back. So when you leave music meadows, the start finish, you know, you'll hit colony Creek on your way outbound and then you'll hit Horn Creek, and then you'll hit Venable, and then oh, okay. you turn, and then you turn around at Venable. So you'll hit Horn Creek on the way back, and Colony on the way back, and yeah, okay. then you're back. At, yeah. Well, I was so, just wondering, like, it, it, were you those three aid station guys? Were you paying them to be at each one of those aid stations while the two hundred milers are running? Yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah, so I'm paying them five hundred bucks to camp. For yeah. Three days. Yeah. Yeah. And take care of the eight exactly people that are <laughs> running that are crazy enough to take it, it on. What is your finish rate usually for the 200? Oh, it's slow. It's like 50%. Oh, okay. It's about 50%. Yeah, that's not bad. Half of them start finish. Last year, the winner took 80 hours. Was it 80? It might have been less than that. What do you give time-wise? 108 hours. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's very forgiving. You get four and a half days. Uh, You could walk the entire thing. Yeah. I think that the best part about having it um, be out and backs is that you always end up at the start finish line, which is a central location where you're welcome to set up your own camp. Yeah. And so it's not this big 200 mile loop with 40 fucking stations and sleep stations. And I mean, yeah, that stuff does cost money, right? It doesn't cost 1500 bucks per runner, but that stuff costs money. I don't want a storage unit for that much stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So oh, shit. Like, all right. Well, there's four aid station locations. That's really manageable for me. It's also really manageable for you. And every time you come back to the start finish, <clears throat> excuse me, you can have a trailer there. You can have a camper. You can have a camper van. You can have a tent, whatever it is, however it is that you take care of yourself. It's up to you. Um, 
And so for me, like that really just gives everybody this, this incredible amount of freedom to control how the 200 miler could go from that for them. And so now it really is, look, do you, do you want to run 200 miles or not? And it's, it's a challenge within itself. Let's not overcomplicate it. Yeah. It's 200 miles. So the guy won last year in 63 hours. Oh, wow. Holy cow. That's incredible. Now, let, let me say this guy flew to Denver then got on a bike and rode his bike to Westcliff, which is a three and a half hour drive. He rode his bike there. Then he ran the 200 miles in 63 hours. And then he got on his bike and rode it to Salt Lake city. So, whoa. Yeah. Cool. Right. Yeah. From Alaska. He's a, as a Bush guide up in Alaska is yeah. Badass. (laughs) That's crazy. So yeah, he ran in 63 hours and the female record is 83-23. Wow. That's still pretty fast, right? That's, so, yeah, that's yeah. still fast. That's smoking. That's no, you're not sleeping if you're running 63 hours. No. I should Sorry. bring back that 72-hour cutoff. You should. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them they get to a race entry back if they can get it under 72 hours. Ooh, that's a good deal. Ooh, okay. Yeah. You legit run 200 miles. I'll give you your money back. <laughs> that guy be calling you up. Hey, I rode my bike there. <laughs> <laughs> cool event though. I, I actually, I really love putting it on. Um, I get to camp in the same field for five days. Um, it's pretty stressful uh, as a race director to be keeping track of anybody running 200 miles in a wilderness setting. Uh, it's a lot, but uh, as the week goes on and more people start showing up, uh, the community builds and yeah. it ends up, being a, you know, nobody leaves. Even the people that drop out of the 200, you know, they get, usually it's like 70 miles in, you know, and they're like, yeah, I'm done, but I'm going to stay and volunteer. Cool. Um, so it ends up being like the the best camp out of the whole year for us. We all, everybody sleeps in the same field. Every runner will have 130 people camping out that weekend. Wow. It's really cool. Then after that, you got Indian Creek is coming up. Yeah. My oldest race, the Indian Creek 50 is October 15th. We have a 50 mile, 55 K and a 15 mile. Same course as always. your birthday. That's right. It's my birthday weekend. That's how I spent my (laughs) birthday race directing. Uh, Sleeping in the campground. Yeah. With no service. That's great. (laughs) No, that's true. I forgot there's no service. And the wind doesn't blow either. <laughs> no, no, but it gets plenty cold. Yeah. Um, you know, we've had 90 degree weather at that race and it snowed a couple of years ago. Wow. Um, it was a fresh inch on the ground. It, it wasn't slippery yeah. or anything, but it sure was pretty. So, yeah, I mean, I've got, I direct personally 15 events um, with the Packboro race. So, um, I have at least one race every month. There's only April. April's the only month I have off, uh, from in-person racing. Um, otherwise every month I have one or two races and, uh, every, every other series of my size, they have a staff of five or six people that are on their payroll. Um, I'm, I'm just me. I'm a one man show. There's no staff here. I do everything. I do it all. Uh, and, and I'm really proud of that. I, I, and I don't, I don't say it to toot my own horn. I say it because 
it's possible to work fucking hard for people so that you don't have to charge them an arm and a leg. You could just work hard yeah, for people and, uh, and charge them a reasonable entry fee. And, and you can do it without lying to them too. You don't have to say, well, inflation and COVID and right. like, no, you can have integrity and just be honest and say, I want to make more money. So I raise my race entry fee yeah. and, and I have a staff to, to pay. So I raise my entry fee. Um, I, I'm just tired of people lying about it. And I don't know that makes me an asshole. I'm okay with that. Cause I get to go to bed with my integrity every night. Yeah. Feels really good. Yeah, that's a good thing. Well, if you've never pissed anybody off, you've never stood up for yourself. So, <laughs> if you've never pissed anybody off, you're not doing anything to change the world. That's true. Yeah. You know? <laughs> All right. Well, we'll wrap things up. We've uh, kept you long enough, I think. Um, I have to. One go to question we. Doctors. What was that? I still have shopping to do. Oh, no. <laughs> you gotta go shop for 200 no i gotta go buy jelly um <laughs> vegetable oil jelly vegetable oil and syrup and four propane refills that's what's left on my list but no that ain't too bad what's your what's your question <laughs> um who should we who should we interview next who should we talk to who do you look up to who do you think would have a good story to tell. Who do I look up to? Well, I'm only five six, so pretty much everybody. <laughs> I'm five eight. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, um, over the years I've I've learned so much from firsthand personal knowledge or digging and you know, doing research or whatever. There's really few people that I look up to in this sport nowadays. I just mean in general, it doesn't have to be the sport. You know, there's a race director in New Jersey. Her name is Kim Levinsky, and she directs races for the Sasquad Trail Runners. Mm. And I think she is an exceptional leader in what she's doing in our sport. Female race director, also all about inclusion and accessibility and doing it in a way that, um, you know, she's not robbing people. She's not overcharging. She's not, I mean, she just is a genuine real person who wants the sport to be fun and accessible for people. And she's very creative. Um, so I, of course, would recommend her. Um, I also think Adam Huey. Uh, he is one of the race organizers for Cascade Crest. And he's a hard rocker. Yeah. Super nice fucking guy. Really accomplished. I actually look up to Adam Huey a lot. He doesn't know it. Um, but I do, I look up to Adam. I look up to, uh, Hal corner, uh, Hal will forever be one of the few, uh, legit front runners that I actually, um, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs about. (laughs) (laughs) Hal is a pretty stand up guy. I generally don't give a shit, you know, like obviously Killian's God. Um, I actually really like Jim Walmsley because he's at least honest with us. Yeah. And, you know, he'll tell you what's up. And I've always loved that about him. Um, Hal, I, Hal is a humble, quiet dude that just gets the work done. Um, and I've, I've always looked up to Hal. So if you could get Hal, he's not a guy that would probably say yes. But probably if you not. get Hal. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Adam, he- I would, I would have Adam Huey on as well. Okay. Uh, and Kim Levinsky. Those would be my Kim two. Levinsky. Cool. And it. check out their races, everybody. Check them out. <laughs> well, why don't you uh, go ahead and give yourself another plug and let them know everyone know where they can find you and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Um, again, the Human Potential Running Series. We are Colorado's largest series of trail and ultra running events. Uh, I have a race in Arkansas in November. I have a race in Texas, El Paso in January. I also, um, you can find out about us at uh, www.humanpotentialrunning.com. We're the second largest uh, series, ultra series in the nation. Nobody knows who the fuck we are. So um, <laughs> that's a thing. Um, I'm also the the race director of the world championship Packboro race. If you want to learn about that madness, we could do a whole nother episode on Packboro racing. <laughs> we sure could. Um, but yeah, you can check that out on the town of fair play website. <laughs> Uh, if you don't know of Fair Play, it is the town that South Park is based off of. Um, the cartoon. So really, oh yeah, yeah. There's I know Officer Brady there. <laughs> no, yeah. So um, you can check that out, Town of Fair Play website. But uh, yeah, we'd love to have people come on out and join us for an adventure. And and you know, I have a hard time using the word race anymore. Uh, I think they're just adventures and, uh, you know, we have a great community of awesome runners. We're all about inclusion, accessibility, um, and just having a great time running and exploring together. So if that's your jam, if, uh, you have the ability to check your fucking ego at the door and you don't need a podium or something to stand on because you ran faster than everybody, this is the place for you. <laughs> awesome. We have a podium parade on February 30th. If anybody wants to come and meet our front runners from the year. Oh, oh really? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. You fell for it. Well, Don, thanks for <laughs> really? That's a thing. Yeah, we get these duck boats and everything. <laughs> well, John, we want to thank you for coming on. It was a awesome conversation. Hopefully we can do it again. I would love to. Thanks for having me guys, uh, for putting me on the spot. You'll for sure have at least 15 hate emails come in after this one. Cause that's uh, fine. You know, sure. Piss some people off, but <laughs> give us something to talk about. <laughs> you are just a speck of dust. My friend, you are bags of meat <laughs> hanging on a bone thing with an electrical <laughs> charge. That nobody knows how it fucking works still. Like, seriously, stop taking yourself so seriously. Right. <laughs> Just enjoy life. That's right. <laughs> like, who cares? <laughs> All right. Thanks, John. Yeah. Love you guys. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. Thank you for listening. This podcast has been produced and edited by Backbeat Sound. Come and find us on Instagram at BackbeatSound1776 or email us at BackbeatSound1776 at gmail.com. <laughs>